0: Hi, I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. Voices is the most stimulating gathering of fashion industry leaders on the planet. What makes Voices different is that we mix our industry with fascinating people from other sectors, from the worlds of economics, activism, health and wellness, medicine, film, philanthropy, technology, media, and so many more. Fashion doesn't live in a bubble, and nor should it. This is one of the sessions from our 2017 gathering. Silicon Valley for years now has been a buzz about something called the sharing economy, an economy that's been pioneered by startups like Uber and Airbnb. But how could the sharing economy apply to the fashion industry? And what can we learn about the potential of the sharing economy? To answer this question, I invited Joe Jebbia co-founder and chief product officer at Airbnb to talk to us about the sharing economy and the lessons he's learned along the way. He uses a really interesting analogy of duct tape, which I'll let him explain to you. So here's Joe Jebia at Voices 2017, what fashion can learn from the sharing economy. Take a look at this. This is a roll of
1: duct tape. It's something that you could say we all take for granted. There you go. Nice catch. Uh, We use it to seal things, to repair. Nice. (laughs) Just about anything. (laughs) There you go. And it's so clever, you don't even need scissors to tear it. Did you know you can patch a car tire and drive it down the road safely, just with duct tape? Uh, a car reassembled with nothing but duct tape can travel at 88 kilometers per hour. Duct tape saves lives. We've seen MacGyver do this in every episode. <laughs> it may seem like the most basic material ever invented, uh, you know, for fixing anything from a hole in your sneaker to a hole in your, in your spacesuit. Uh But actually, the name duct tape wasn't meant for air ducts. It actually has a totally different origin story. Now, in 1942, The United States were sending thousands of young troops to World War II, one of the bloodiest conflicts in human history. Vesta Stout's two sons were both serving in the US Navy, and she worked in a factory packing ammo into boxes, and she would tape them to make sure that they were closed and waterproof. Now, the problem here is that the unreliable paper tape that she was using made the ammo boxes hard to open, and it basically left soldiers frantically scrambling to open the boxes while under enemy fire. Vesta had a very simple solution. What if you seal the boxes with a strong waterproof, cotton-based tape? She demonstrated this to her supervisors, and they actually thought that this was a really good idea, but they told her to mind her own business. The government knew what it was doing. So put yourself in Vesta's shoes. What would you do next? Well, her solution was to write a letter to the President of the United States. She says this I have two sons out there somewhere. I know you do too. We can't let them down. I didn't know who to write to, Mr. President. So I've written you hoping your boys, my boys, and every man that uses the rifle, that these boxes be better taped. What were the chances of that working? Actually, the letter did work. Not only did President Roosevelt read her letter, he sent it to the War Production Board in Washington, D.C. This is what they said. The change you have recommended has been approved with a comment the idea is of exceptional merit. Now, imagine if you send the letter to the current president. <laughs> the final name was named duct tape because it was waterproof like a duck. And it was made from cotton duck fabric. So in reality, actually should be called duct tape. So since then it's been used for far-ranging uses from NASA space missions to fixing your sneakers. But that's not all. Duct tape is more. Every time you see a piece of duct tape, it's an opportunity to innovate. It's like a design improvisation becoming a design solution. Now, this process has played a key role in my life, and it's what led to the creation of Airbnb. Two years after graduating from RISD, I'm unemployed, I'm almost broke, my roommate moves out, and then my rent goes up. But I've heard there's a design conference coming to town, and all the hotels are sold out. And I've always believed that turning fear into fun is the gift of creativity. So here's what I pitched my best friend and my new roommate, Brian Chesky. Hey Brian, I thought of a way we could make a few bucks, turning our place into a designer's bed and breakfast. We could offer them a place to crash during the conference, complete with wireless internet, sleeping mat, and breakfast each morning. Ha! We designed a basic website, and airbedandbreakfast.com was born. Three lucky guests got to sleep on a $20 airbed on the hardwood floor, but they loved it, and so did we. This was our improvised duct-taped solution, and it worked well enough to keep us from getting evicted. Over time, it evolved into the design solution that became Airbnb. These days, there's an average of two million people who stay in a home on our service every night. We have hosts in 191 of the 196 recognized countries around the world. And in some countries, I just got back from Australia, for example, one out of every five Australian has an Airbnb account. So I believe that when a company reaches a certain stage, they have a responsibility to take what they're best at and to go out into the world and solve for problems. It's like, in my mind, philanthropy for the 21st century. As our company grew, I started wondering, who else could we help with the knowledge and the resources that we've built? As it turned out, our first opportunity washed up right on one of our host's doorsteps. Imagine you're visiting a foreign city, you've had a great time, but you're looking forward to getting back home because the weather's starting to get a little bit rough. On the day of departure, you pack your bags, you check out of your accommodations, You step into the streets, and you're hit by a sheet of wind and rain, and the city's in chaos. You try to find your way to the subway, only to learn that it's flooded out, that the tunnels are closed, the bridges are closed, all the flights have been canceled. You're basically trapped in a foreign city. And you're about to be hit by one of the most vicious hurricanes in history. Thousands of visitors found themselves in, in Manhattan, on October 28, 2012. This is when Superstorm Sandy, Hit and it was basically one of the most violent hurricanes. Large sections of lower Manhattan were completely submerged water. buildings collapsed, hotels overflowed, there were thousands of people who became homeless overnight. And that's when Shell, one of our hosts, reached out to us with a truly wonderful idea. She wanted to offer her spare bedrooms for free to those who were displaced. But her email started this 24-hour engineering marathon to create a way for people to volunteer their rooms to those who've been displaced. And that experience taught us, we realized that Wherever we might have Airbnb hosts, we might be able to help people in need in sometimes a matter of hours. Our first improvised solution led to the creation of now a dedicated platform called Open Homes. Through this, our community has stepped up over 90 times, 90 disasters around the world in 20 different countries. And as this platform grew, we started thinking: you know, who else needs short-term accommodation on a housing platform like this? This statistic from the UNHCR was our answer. And we heard about 65 million people early this morning. To put it in context, it's a big number. That is the population of the United Kingdom. And if you think that's a lot, look at what the forecast is. By 2044, the number explodes to 325 million people. And to understand the magnitude of that, that's the current population of the United States. So after traveling to refugee camps in Greece, in Jordan, in Kenya and Rwanda, as well as major refugee resettlement cities throughout Europe, we ended up expanding the open homes community to match asylum seekers in need of short-term accommodation with people willing to give them a place to stay. And today we have over 15,000 people who have volunteered their homes from all corners of the world. So what started with one woman's idea, years later, has become an ambitious commitment to help our host house over 100,000 people in the next five years as we continue to build the world's largest humanitarian housing platform. Wish us luck. <laughs> now, during the course of our research on this, we also learned that once a refugee is settled into a home, finding a job is key to reintegrating, and this is top of mind for the 1.4 million Syrian refugees living in Jordan. Now, in the past few years, Jordan's seen an influx of people from neighboring countries, and because refugees are willing and able, but usually not allowed to seek employment, the influx places a heavy burden on national resources. So those who are eager to contribute their skills, talents, and times, how might we find, help them find a means of financial support? So in 2013, when we were just starting to explore what we could offer beyond accommodations, my team and I came up with the idea of a marketplace for experiences where residents could share their knowledge and passions with travelers the Experience Marketplace, as it was known, showed us the possibilities of tapping into people's potential. And it eventually became part of our core product. Little did we know that this first prototype would someday enable refugees to create a source of income. So what you're looking at here are some of the experiences available in Amman today. With Experience Marketplace, visitors interact with locals in a non-touristy way, and refugees are able to contribute value rather than being forced into idleness or isolation. It benefits the visitors, the locals, and alleviates the burden on national resources. It's a win-win-win all around. Now, we discovered another duct tape opportunity inspired by one of our Japanese hosts. And this one doesn't deal with the welfare of individuals, but the survival of entire villages. Japan has experienced a nationwide population crisis. Population is decreasing by 800,000 people per year for the next 20 years. And this is having drastic consequences on all facets of Japanese life, from the society to economics to the culture, and especially the rural life, as older generations pass away and younger generations move to cities. Now, let's see how one Airbnb to- host took matters into her own hands.
2: At <laughs> 当時と- 娘のあかり明かり Airbnb のホストを始めまし
1: The cool thing about this story is that now Magumi invites her neighbors to offer services to guests. So uh, Residents say that even more important than the income that they're getting is this idea of being excited about the place they live in again. Now, Magumi's astonishing success with this got us thinking, what if Airbnb helped revitalize other rural communities by creating a, a new type of space that could be shared by residents and travelers alike? So we worked with a local architect and we came up with this concept. The first floor of this house is the guest living room, the dining room, the kitchen, and it's also the community center. The first floor is meant to be shared by everyone. We presented this concept to a couple of villages, and there's one south of Osaka that loved it so much they donated the necessary land. Now, because the village of Yoshino is a center of craftsmanship, the house was built almost entirely by locals, with materials you can see from the front porch. Everything from the light fixtures to the tableware, especially the wooden walls. To say that Yoshino's uh, famous for its cedar wood is quite an understatement. People come from all over the world to source the timber here. In fact, a single cedar tree costs as much as a Lamborghini. Woodworkers have lived here for centuries. The current craftsmen are heirs to a tradition that goes back six generations. All this is to say, they take wood very seriously here. They even have the guardian of the forest. He lives in the woods and decides when a tree is ready to be cut down. Each stump is then stamped with the signature of the woodworker. It's an important ceremony, and the forest is treated with respect, and the use of these natural resources is not taken lightly. And this is how the Yoshino Cedar House was born. It's designed from the ground up for a specific purpose. It's a concept that benefits the entire community, and it can be replicated anywhere around the world. And it takes the traditional Airbnb model and actually turns it upside down. The Oshina Cedar House is run by a community cooperative, which decides how the proceeds are used. 97% of the revenue generated by your stay stays in the community. So when you stay at the house, who will you meet? well. You'll meet the washi paper maker, the sake brewer, the woman who runs the chopstick factory. Everything is vocal. The fishermen go out to the river in the morning, and the catch of the day becomes your sushi at night. Imagine sitting down to dinner with the people who made the bowl that you're holding, the table which you're sitting, and the scent of cedarwood filling the air. Lovers of craftsmanship, this place is for you. And by the way, all this happened in under a year. Since it was listed on Airbnb back this past February, it's enjoyed an 85% occupancy rate. The cool part is, just three months after it was unveiled, the concept reached further than we ever would have expected. Now let's travel halfway around the world to Civita, Italy. It's one of Italy's forgotten villages. This is a 3,000-year-old town that's declined to just 10 people. So we worked with the town residents, all 10 of them, to restore a historic building called Casa de Artista, and listed on Airbnb. It's been called a dreamy mix of old and new. And it's truly gorgeous. And the proceeds of your stay go directly to the town's fund for cultural restoration. By the way, guess who's your host? It's the mayor. (laughs) (laughs) So it started with a single house in a small Japanese village you've probably never heard of. Represents a model that can be adopted anywhere around the world. Duct-tape opportunities come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them can lead to new businesses, some of them can inspire new philanthropic endeavors, and some of them can even lead you to spend a week in a center of Japanese craftsmanship. I think duct-tape is often most powerful when it connects different elements, sometimes connects different worlds. Natalie Masane connected the concepts of digital fashion magazine and luxury retail store to create net a Calvin Klein connected recycled plastic with haute couture to create Emma Watson's spectacular Met Gala outfit last year. Carly Kloss connected the glamour of modeling with computer programming in her Code with Clossy initiative. We continue to bring together the concepts of home, of ownership, of travel, of hospitality, and the sharing economy to create new models that have yet to be imagined. So I think no matter where you work in every industry, no matter what you do at every level, Duct tape is all around us. And so who knows what you'll spot next. And when you do, I hope you'll come find me and tell me about it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Business of Fashion podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and subscribe today. Don't forget to visit businessoffashion.com to learn more about BOF and everything that we do.